Good morning. We're wrapping up our Untangled series that we started uh, in early January. Uh, I'm Alex. I'm the associate pastor. Pastor Ed, our fearless leader, is uh, suffering for Jesus in Israel uh, with about 20 other people from Gateway and uh, maybe another 20 from another Loudoun County church, and uh, they come back tomorrow night. So we want to remember them as we pray tomorrow. Safe travel for them getting back. This series, we've talked about the fact that God intended for us to go somewhere in our lives. He intended us to have lives of purpose, lives that that moved, that uh, moved forward and made progress. And yet, uh, we tend to tangle things up. And so we talked about untangling our finances, untangling our relationships, untangling our thoughts, those kind of things. This morning, we're going to wrap up by talking about untangling our relationships. Now, uh, if you didn't get an index card and a pencil when you came in, we've got greeters that have some extras. They're going to kind of wander around here over the next couple of minutes. And if you need one, if you just sort of motion to somebody that's walking around with index cards and pencils, they can give you one. You're going to need that for your assignment this morning. So I want to make sure that you have one of those. Um, So I have uh, uh, two mutual friends who have known each other since the 70s. We all grew up together in the same church. And uh, we all ended up at seminary together. And uh, then uh, these guys kind of captured the dream, shared this dream of moving halfway across the country and starting a church. And they did. They moved their families. The church uh, did really well. And then 20 years into this, one friend, who happened to be the boss, fired the other friend. And I don't know the circumstances surrounding it. I wasn't uh, involved in any of this. And, and even though these are friends, I didn't pry. Uh, and like a lot of people outside, you know, looking in, we thought, why couldn't you just lock them in a room without food, water, or a bathroom and don't let them out till they get it fixed? I mean, they've known each other for decades. They're Christian leaders. Surely, surely they can untangle this mess. But they were not. And they have not spoken to each other since this separation. Uh, Here's the deal. All of us have relationships that can get snarled up. It can happen in our families, our extended families. It happens at work. It happens with people we've known for years. It happens even in church. And anytime you have two less than perfect people in a relationship, they're going to be problems. And things get snarled up. I I think of the illustration Pastor Ed used that very first week. He had uh, some string that was all tangled up. And uh, maybe you've either had a drawer with string that got, you know, kind of unraveled and it was all just a mess. Or uh, if you're a guy, you go out in the garage and the bin that has all the extension cords in it, you know. Or uh, you've got your garden hoses that have been stored for the winter and you're trying to wrestle them into some form where you can get them back in the yard. Uh, when things get so tangled up, there's a temptation at times to go like, it's just not worth it. I, I don't have the energy. I don't care enough. I'm just going to let it sit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk away. I'm going to pretend it doesn't exist. Maybe one day things will change and I can go back and untangle that. But here's the deal. God created us for relationship. And in just those of us that are sitting in the room this morning, there are parents who haven't spoken to their kids in years. There are uh, broken relationships, so you and your ex can barely communicate about the kids. 
there are siblings that, uh, you know, they're flesh and blood, but you spend a lot of your time pretending you're not related to them. There are marriages, I'm sure, in this room that are um, pretty snarled up right now, and you may not voice it, but the temptation is to think like, I don't know, maybe, maybe this can't be untangled. And God wants to speak to us this morning about relationships. He wants us to untangle the snarled up mess that we create out of relationships. So this morning, we're going to talk about some strategies or approaches that will help us in these kind of serious things, but they also help in just the everyday sort of relation building sort of things. You might think of them as tools. And I'm going to actually give you a lot of tools, 10 tools, uh, but we're going to move through it quickly. And what I would recommend is that you not worry about taking notes, uh, that you just kind of suck it up, listen in, uh, figure out if any of this stuff seems to resonate with you. And if it does, maybe there are one or two of these tools that, that God will tap you on the heart this week and say, hey, you should start using that in your relationship with Whoever. So I want you to take your index card and I want you on it to write the, real, uh, the initials of one or two people with whom you have an entangled relationship. And if they're sitting next to you, don't use their initials like do a, I don't know, code or something. Draw a picture. Um, so uh, what I want you to do is just jot down the initials of a couple of people with whom you have entangled relationships and... Uh, when we pass the offering plate at the end of the service, you can drop those cards in the offering basket, and at our staff meeting on Tuesday, we will pray for your relationships and your efforts at untangling. Or you may want to hang on to the card, take it home with you, use it as a reminder as you begin praying about whether God wants you to do anything in those relationships this week. So uh, hang on to those cards. Let's pray as we get started. Father, thank you so much that you love us and you deeply desire a relationship with us. You invite us to walk with you and we are so undeserving and so grateful that your grace overwhelms our sin. We confess that we have messed up so many relationships. And if we're really honest, there are times where we look at them and think this just can't be fixed. So this morning, we invite you to speak to us. We try to open up some space in our heart for you to go to work and change us and change our relationships. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So let's start with a reminder. Uh, it's from Ephesians 3.20. Some of you know this verse where Paul says, talking about God, that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And I want you to think about that verse in relationship to the initials that you put on that card because God is able to do so much more than what you think he can do if you allow his power to work within you. Okay, so I'm going to start with five tools that hopefully are a little bit familiar to you if, if you've Grown up in church, if you've been in exposed to counseling or recovery or a 12-step program, hopefully these will be somewhat familiar to you. So the first one would be time and distance. 
time and distance. If you've ever given a child a timeout, you know exactly what this is for. You remove them from the immediate situation. It gives times for things to settle down, an opportunity for reflection. Uh, if you're an alcoholic, you don't go into a bar, right? So you use time and distance to help. Uh, usually these are short-term strategies, but depending on the circumstances, it might be necessary for them to be longer term. Patience is really important. We need to give God time to work in the lives of the other person, in our life. We need to give people time to process. Distance might be literal, but it could also be figurative. So at Thanksgiving dinner, you know, Uncle Frank is kind of nuts about politics, so you just steer clear of it. You put some figurative distance between you and the subject of politics so that things don't blow up and it doesn't turn into a food fight. Uh, you may be surprised that in Acts chapter 15, we're told about Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. So uh, these guys were trying to figure out where do we go on our next missionary journey, who are we going to take. They butted heads and they could not resolve that. So they went in two different directions. They each took somebody else with them and both mission trips were fruitful. God blessed both trips. And later in Paul's writing, we find that there had been reconciliation between the parties involved. They put distance and time to work. They couldn't fix it. They went on and did something God-honoring, came back and worked on it some more. Uh, another helpful tool for untangling relationships is forgiveness. This is like one of your all-purpose remedies. It's a little bit like putting WD-40 in your toolbox. It's useful in a lot of places. You just apply it liberally no matter what it is. If you can't figure out how to make it work, just use WD-40. Even people who are not particularly religious get the basic concept of forgiveness. But sadly, there are many Christians who don't fully understand what the Bible has to say about forgiveness. And even if they fully understand it, they don't put it into practice. So Jesus himself said, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. You get that? There's a connection between our forgiving other people and God forgiving us. And it's not just here, but in many other places in Scripture. So in Mark 6.15, for example, Jesus says, if we're unwilling to forgive others, God will not forgive us. So as we obey God and forgive those who have trespassed against us, we let more of his grace flow, not just in us, but through us, into the lives of other people, and we are blessed. And when we forgive others, we let go of the hurts and the disappointment, and the anger, and we move forward with less baggage. So God blesses us with less stress, with less hurt, because we forgive other people. Rick Warren is a pastor and author. He explains it this way. He says, the love of Jesus Christ covers your sins, and it also gives you the power to let other people off the hook. You've been forgiven, and you can forgive others. Now, some of us have experienced a harsh treatment at the hands of others, some maybe even abuse. And so to this, Rick Warren would say, look, we're called to forgive in the here and now whether a person asks for it or deserves it. On the other hand, trust must be rebuilt over time. It requires a track record. So if someone hurts you repeatedly, you are called to obey God and forgive them, but you are not expected to trust them immediately. And you're not expected to continue allowing them to hurt you. So forgiveness, when we apply it liberally, is a really powerful tool in healing relationships. Another useful tool is prayer. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. 
And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So instead of stewing on it, instead of letting bitterness take root, and we keep rehearsing our anger, we pray about it. We take it to God, and the word prayer prayer in this verse means worshipful conversation with God. So we talk to God about it. Petition, that's a word that means a prayer with a sense of need or urgency. It's a specific request. So we talk to God in general, but we also make very specific requests to him, and we do this with thanksgiving. And as we do that, God's peace guards our hearts and minds. Now, I don't know about you, but when I pray about messed up relationships, the first thing generally that comes to mind is, Lord, smite them, whatever that means. You know, like, show them how stupid they're being. Make them repent and come back and grovel. That's what I want, Lord, in your name. But Paul says, look, your your priority should be to pray with thanksgiving. So we don't just complain and blame the other person. We express gratitude for God for whatever we can in the situation. So God, I am so frustrated, but thank you that I have a middle schooler and he's learning independence. And I appreciate the fact that you love him way more than I do right now. So we pray with gratitude. Interestingly, it's in this passage just a couple of verses later that Paul says to us that we choose to think about the positives. We dwell on what is true and noble and right and pure and lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. That's the the passage that Ed used several weeks ago when we talked about untangling our thoughts. And it's in the same paragraph that when when we are stressed and anxious, we take that to God, we pray with thanksgiving, and then we choose to park on the positive. We don't rehearse the negative. We don't hang on to it. We don't practice what we would say to that person if we could duct tape their mouth shut and make them listen to us. We choose instead to think about what is good and right. Another practical tool when it comes to relationships is words. Now, I need to preface that by saying the right kind of words. Oftentimes we think if I just throw enough words at it with enough volume, that's going to fix it, and that generally does not work. So James 1.19 says, Dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Notice the progression. We listen first. And then we're slow to respond, slow to speak, and even slower still to get angry. James says we have to be good listeners, good question askers, genuinely curious about what the other person is feeling and thinking. And then when we do speak up, our goal is what Ephesians 4.15 tells us, speaking the truth in love. So it's not we speak truth or we speak love. We couple them together. We combine them. And generally, we snarl up relationships by either being truthful without being loving or being loving without being truthful. And we have to do both. One more really useful tool is wise counsel. Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. So in the moment when... I'm upset with somebody else, I feel like I'm in the right. And that's me being foolish, according to this verse. If we're wise, then we listen to advice from other people, people with more objectivity, people with more insight into the situation, people who can be honest with us. It could be your spouse, but maybe not. Uh, We tend to discount what our spouses say, even when they're right. I'm going to say that one more time, and you can remind your spouse of this. We tend to discount what our spouses tell us even when they're right. 
And so we may be putting an unrealistic burden on them to you know, tell us stuff when odds are we're gonna discount it. But uh, it could be from a trusted friend, somebody who can keep confidences, somebody who knows you. We wanna look for people who share the same spiritual foundation and demonstrate some skill and experience in the area we're seeking advice. So we want people with relational wisdom and they've got a track record that other people can see. If you go, uh, I, I can remember when I worked in the marketplace, somebody was struggling in their marriage and they shared that with somebody at the water cooler and the advice they got from the other person like, hey, you ought to have an affair. Like, whoa, stop, that is not how to untangle your marriage. So it needs to be somebody who who is on the same track with you, somebody whose judgment is gonna be solid. It may not have to be a professional counselor, but I highly recommend you at least leave that possibility open. Uh, in many seasons of my life, I have really appreciated the insight of a Christian counselor. And I can give you some names and numbers after the service if you want to know. Um, so these, are, these first five tools, these are really helpful, but because they're hopefully uh, pretty familiar to you, at least in a general sense, we're just gonna park with that. We're going to cover them briefly and then move on because I want you to learn about some other tools that may not be as familiar that I think will be more helpful to you. So I want you to look at two pictures uh, and uh, just take a look. This seems like an earlier time, doesn't it? Here's a picture from uh, almost 70 years ago. Uh, some of you that have been around Gateway a while will recognize this uh, smaller picture on the right. That's Mrs. Daryl Dawson, who was married on April 12, 1952. That's Diane Allen's mother. Diane is the pastor's wife, Diane Allen. That's her mom. And she's in the center of the picture. Uh, wow, that guy has his hands on her hips. I just noticed that. That's Daryl. That's the guy that would marry her. This is, this is from May 1951, April the next year they got married. The woman that is to the left of Bev is my mom. Uh, and that's my dad behind her. My parents got married on June 21st, 1952, so a couple of months after Bev and Daryl. They were sorority sisters, Sigma Sigma Sigma, at Madison Girls College, and uh, this was their sorority thing. Uh, it's interesting because my mom, oh, she, <laughs> It's a little frustrating. She'll always say, like, oh, you remember Mavis? You know, Mavis had the dog with the big hair. You know, it's like, don't tell me. I don't want to know that. I don't know who Mavis is. I don't care about her dog. And she would always talk about Bev Dawson and all of her college buddies. She's like, Mom, these people are like 150 years old. I do not know who you're talking about. And then in the, in the I think it was probably about 1998, she goes, oh, you remember Bev Dawson? Well, her daughter is married to a guy that's like, oh my gosh, this story can't get any longer. And he was a pastor in, in Boston, and then they're moving down to Alexandria, and they're starting a church. like, oh, Ed Allen. And she goes, how did you know it was Ed Allen? It was like, well, because the church that I was a part of at that time was also kind of a sister church to what became Gateway. So uh, just really weird. So my mom and Bev uh, were, were college sorority sisters, and over 70 years, you know, they, they knew each other kind of hung out together. In contrast, let's look at this next picture. So <clears throat> I, uh, I went to Baylor, I graduated from Baylor, and uh, this guy was one of my college roommates, Kerry. Uh, and Kerry's dad was a pastor, Kerry's older brother was involved in youth ministry, and Kerry was a really nice guy. In, in fact, his, he, his relationship with his girlfriend was infuriatingly sweet, because they would kind of talk in baby voices to each other, it was like, oh my gosh. 
Carrie, you know, I, Carrie had a good heart. I was a little worried about him. I didn't feel like he would ever really, he just didn't have a whole lot of pizzazz or sizzle. You know, it's like, well, hey, you know, God can use somebody like that. So Carrie pastors the Woodlands Church in Houston. They run about 18,000 on a weekend. 56 services or something. And it's not that my relationship with Carrie ever soured. I was only roommates with him for a year. But if I had played it right, I could be on staff at a much larger church. You realize that. <laughs> well, here's the deal. When, when we manage relationships well, I mean, they can last for decades. And maybe some of you who are like my age, you have college friends that you've stayed close to. Or, or you have people that, I mean, like I do, where... For a lot of things, I would not go to anyone in my uh, family of origin, <laughs> you know, with, with that problem or with that joy. It just was like, yeah, I'm just going to go tell a friend. And, and you value that. You know the joy and the strength and the maturity and the challenge that can come from having great relationships. So that's what God longs for us to experience. But I feel like so many times we, we settle for stuff that's tangled up. And, you know, we open the drawer and we see all the string in there. It's like, I'll just, I'll buy some more. I'm not going to deal with it. It's just, it's too much work. So let's press on. Let's look at these next five tools. And maybe these are a little more challenging, uh, a little less familiar, but I think they can be really helpful to you. Number six is going to be introspection. Number, it's, it's looking inside of yourself with God's help doing some internal work. Um, there's a very well-known passage that invites this kind of self-reflection in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You'll know this from Matthew 7, uh, verses 1 through 5. So do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. All right, so first of all, you know, we talked about the connection between God forgiving us and us forgiving others. Now, there's a connection that God makes between the way we judge others and the way God judges us. And then we go a little farther down, and we know that there's a speck in the other person's eye and a plank in our eye. Both have problems. Both of us have stuff to work on. Both of us are imperfect. Both sides of this entanglement have things to do. But first, Jesus says, first, take the plank out of your own eye. Deal with your own stuff. When there's a relational rift and both parties contribute to it, you're not going to be able to fix the other person. But you have very much to do with what happens in your own heart. So work first on your contribution to the situation. And then maybe you'll be able to see what the other person did wrong. This is really difficult to do, but a wise person invests the effort. Proverbs 20 verse 5 says, The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. So it'd be like out in the ocean looking off the side of a ship and, and you can't even see the bottom. The water is dark and murky and there's no way of knowing what's down there. 
but a wise person invests the time and the energy and the effort to draw out what is buried deep inside their heart. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? This is why we have to invite God into the process. It's not probably a one-time thing. We're like, okay, I'm going to think about this for three and a half minutes. And then it's fixed. It's, it's probably, for most of us, a lifelong pursuit. So you begin by asking questions about yourself. And as you pray about the way you answer that, you discuss it with God. What are the ways that I tend to react? What are the stories I tend to tell myself? What are the triggers that get me spun up, that lead to messiness or disagreements or emotion? And then what can I do to short-circuit that pattern, that tendency that I have? One of the things that I uh, find really helpful in this respect is journaling. Uh, and I know a lot of people are not into that kind of stuff. Uh, one thing that helps me is I will write this down and I can be really honest with myself and then I stick it in the shredder and it goes away. and Nobody else knows what I said. Um, I, I grew up with an older sister, so diaries were not a good place to leave any inside intel. So um, I, I've gotten in the habit in the last year or so of trying to um, identify two, three, four things from the day before that elicited the most uh, noticeable emotional reaction for me. It could be positive, you know, like I felt really fulfilled or like, oh, I was, I was proud of that, you know, or it could be something that made me angry or disappointed or hurt me. Because when I look at those and I ask God for insight and I try to, I wonder why I felt that way. What is it behind that? That tells me a lot about who I am and about who God wants me to be and what I need to do to get there. You may need to pray a dangerous prayer like David did in Psalm 139. This is the one where he said, search me, God. Know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. Where you invite God to come in and look and bring things to light that you would rather keep in the darkness. Another tool that you may not think of when it comes to untangling relationships is initiative. Initiative. I think we tend to look at stuff and go like, wow, gosh, I'm just going to have to wait and see if the wind changes direction and if circumstances change and maybe things will get better on their own. Well, that's a lovely thought, but it's probably not going to happen. Uh, maybe you're thinking, well, I'll wait for the other person to see you know, that they're wrong and maybe God will convict them and they'll come find me. But God empowers us to take the initiative. And in fact, he makes it our job to pursue reconciliation. So Matthew 5, 23 and 24, this is again out of the great uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' epic uh, sermon where he kind of lays out what his kingdom is like. And he says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar first. Go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. So if you're in the middle of your religious duty, you're, you're giving your offer, doing, offering, doing a good and God-honoring thing, but while you're doing that, you realize that someone else has a beef with you. you it's not even about you being angry with them, but you realize like, wait, I, I think there's some kind of rift between us, and I'm pretty sure it's their fault, uh, then stop what you're doing because it's far more important to God that you pursue reconciliation. You can always come back later and finish the offer. In fact, Always come back and finish the offering, okay? I just want to put in that PSA uh, from our treasurer. But God values relationships, and we tend to sweep 
broken relationships under the rug. We want to compartmentalize, put it out of sight, out of mind. And God says, look, you know, I pursue you relentlessly. And the overwhelming thing that I'm bringing to the relationship is grace. And it's not because you deserve it. It's not because you ask for it. I am pursuing you because I love you. And when God models that for us, then he expects us in turn to model it to others. In fact, we're called to the same kind of reconciliation that God pursues with us. Even though you might work and get a paycheck from somebody other than a church, you have a calling, Scripture says. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.18 that God reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I mean, this, is, this is the heart of the gospel. We were apart from God because of the decisions we'd made uh, that have hurt us and hurt other people and have been disobedient to God, so we're separated from God. But God loved us so much that he sent his only son to die on the cross and pay the consequences that we earned. So God has done everything to reconcile with us, and we can have a restored relationship with him through Christ. But if we choose to receive that, then we inherit this ministry of reconciliation. And then two verses later, Paul says, he's committed us this message of reconciliation, therefore we're Christ's ambassadors. So we're Jesus' representatives. We're supposed to show what Jesus does when we hang out with other people. We're supposed to be encouraging them to think about reconciliation with God, and we're supposed to be modeling for them reconciliation with the people around us. Now, taking initiative always carries a risk. You could go with the best of intentions and be rejected. You could be misunderstood. It could stir things up worse. But I can guarantee you that if someone doesn't start untangling the relationship, the mess is only going to grow. Uh, sometimes it might uh, be starting a conversation that's pretty general. I, I feel like there's some friction between us. Could we talk about that? I mean, I, I, I would love to buy you a cup of coffee. and I'll, You talk and I'll listen. But it feels like things went off the rails for us. How do we put it back on track? Um, when you said this, I felt this. And I think it would help me if I could understand what you were thinking or what you were feeling if we could talk about that. Or... Um, have I done something that put distance between us because I miss when we were close? Those are the kinds of um, invitations, uh, the kind of initiative that will help us uh, untangle relationships. And oftentimes, a tangled up relationship is just waiting for someone to take initiative. Humility, that's the next one we want to talk about. We tend to be myopic when it comes to tangled up relationships. We see what's going on in our own hearts. We understand our side of the equation with perfect clarity. But when we try to look at what the other person might be thinking or what's going on with them, like it's fuzzy. And we need some sort of binoculars that help us uh, see what's going on with them. So in Philippians 2, Paul says, look, you need to not only think about your own interests, but you need to put the interests and concerns of that other person ahead of your own. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of the others, in your relationships with one another. 
in your relationships with one another. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. But what Paul's saying here, push aside self-promotion, the desire to be right, the desire to make yourself look good, and you put humility to work. Value the other person more than you value yourself. Sure, look out for your own interest, but don't stop there like we usually do. In your relationship with one another, follow Jesus' example. He humbled himself and he sacrificed himself. So we look to the interests of the other person. We think about what's going on for them, what they might have been thinking about or feeling. We figure out what sacrifice God might be calling us to for the sake of the relationship. It could be that we choose not to make the argument-winning statement in the heat of the moment. Maybe we realize that this is, this is a, a relationship that's more important than winning the fight, so I'm just going to hold back. And we can talk about the issue later, but I need to back off, and, and we need to do some relationship work here. It could be pursuing the other person, spending time with them, even if it's not fun, even if it's hard at first. It could be asking good questions and listening or praying for their best, praying for their success, for God's uh, good work in their life. Another one is boundaries. Boundaries. Now, we get this. Uh, if, if you have a fence between your yard and your neighbors like I do, that tells you which side of the fence the dog is supposed to poop on. And I'll give you a hint. I don't know I have a dog, so it should not be on my side, right? It, it tells you which side of the fence you get to decide about the flowers and which side of the fence you don't. And, and when you have clear boundaries like that, it helps us be better neighbors. It would be unreasonable for my neighbor to expect me to take care of his yard. And it would be unreasonable for me to think he needs to get my approval before he can, you know, cut his grass. One thing is, is his responsibility, the other is mine. And we get into all kinds of relational trouble when we get confused about boundaries. If you think about it, the Ten Commandments, those are boundaries that God gives to his people. And a number of them are about physical boundaries. Hey, that's my donkey. Take your hands off. Hey, that's my wife. Take your hands off. Right? Very clear about boundaries. And this general theme of boundaries runs all through the Bible. So Galatians 6, 7 talks about the principle of reaping and sowing. Hey, you want to be wealthy? Work hard. Save your money. Be wise. Don't steal my stuff. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, if a person doesn't work, they don't eat. I kind of like that principle, right? Parable of the talents in Matthew 25, you're only responsible for what you've been given. You're not responsible for what the other guy got. Don't worry about that. You worry about your stuff. In the book, Boundaries by Henry Cloud and John Townsend, and I highly recommend this if you want to learn more about how boundaries can work in relationships. They write, any confusion of responsibility and ownership in our lives is a problem of boundaries. Just as homeowners set physical property lines around their land, we need to set mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual boundaries for our lives to help us distinguish what is our responsibility and what isn't. The inability to set appropriate boundaries at appropriate times with the appropriate people can be very destructive. It can be destructive to us. It can be destructive to the other person. Any parent who has an adult child, you know the frustration and the heartache of letting your child make wrong decisions, but when they don't live with you when they're adults, you don't get 
to control that. And that's really painful. Or if you have uh, older parents and you're trying to help them make wise decisions about the last few chapters of their life, as much as you may want to make the decisions for, for them, as much as you may think you know exactly what is right for them, they still have a choice in the matter, even if they may not grasp the big picture the way you do. These kind of boundary violations hap happen all the time in marriage. They happen in work. They happen in friendships, in our extended families. We rescue our kids. We protect them from the natural consequences of their actions, which would allow them to learn and grow up and mature. We stew over things that we do not have any control over. We blame other people for the consequences of our decisions, and they hold us responsible for their decisions, and we let them. Is it any wonder that our relationships get fouled up? But if we take the time to uh, clarify boundaries and we bring discernment and wisdom to them, if we go to God and we choose to live within appropriate boundaries, then relationships start to get less tangled up. Last tool that I want to talk about this morning is blessing. Blessing and how it can help us in untangling messed up relationships. Romans 12, 17 through 19 says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So the writer says, be careful. It's easy to get this wrong, and it's natural to want to repay evil for evil, insult for insult, but I'm telling you, do what is right. And if it's possible, might not be possible, but if it's possible, do uh, as much as it depends on you, as far as you're concerned, do everything you can to live at peace with the other people in a tangled up relationship. There's, there's no way of knowing how they'll respond or how they'll react, and you are not accountable for them. But God does expect you to do everything in your power to try to live at peace with them. And you leave revenge or getting even, settling the score to him which means he gets to do it in his time, using his method. He may choose mercy to bring them to repentance, or he may let them experience difficult consequences. But it's our job to trust God for that. In Philippians 3.9, Paul pushes this point a little bit further, and he says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. And just like with forgiveness or judgment, we see there's a connection between our willingness to bless someone who has wronged us and God's willingness to bless us. There's a connection. God blesses us, and in turn, he expects us to be a blessing to other people. Now, this is not the same as restitution, which is still a really good concept. Restitution is when you break something, you wreck your neighbor's car, and restitution is you fix it restitution you owe. Blessing is something that the other person is not owed and they don't deserve. It's doing something kind or thoughtful even though they've insulted or slandered you. So you treat them better than you think they deserve to be treated. You protect your words and you don't talk about them behind their backs or say unkind things. You invest time in them. You send a birthday card even though they haven't called you in years. As they tangle up the relationship, you actively work to untangle. <clears throat> All right, so I want you to take out the note card uh, that you wrote on just a moment ago, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. And we're going to sing one last song before we leave. I want you to hold that card in your hand, 
And I'm going to give you a moment to pray, and perhaps God is going to bring something to mind for you uh, that we talked about this morning, and it, it'll kind of stick with you, and you're going to decide that you want to uh, do some more research on that. Gina Apperson is our awesome communications director, and she's going to figure out some way for me to uh, make this information available. It'll be on a website or Facebook or I don't I don't understand how this stuff works, but she will make it available. So if you want to know the verses or the principles or go back for a refresher, we'll have that available for you sometime this week, and you can look at it. But I hope that God will bring something to mind, some tangible action that you can take that will help untangle relationships. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, and I'm going to give you a moment to pray, and then I'm going to pray Ephesians 3.20 over our relationships. God, there are... Um, relationships represented on these piece of paper, pieces of paper, the note cards. Uh, and I ask you to, to work uh, in us to untangle those. Give us endurance and, and patience and wisdom, knowing that this is going to take some time. And for the relationships that weren't written down, that uh, maybe we didn't even dare capture relationships that we wrote off a long time ago. I pray that you would even be at work in those relationships. And in the most important relationships that we have here now with our, with our spouses, with our kids, with our parents, with our siblings, with our families, God, please help us be proactive in not letting them get fouled up. There's so many opportunities to, to mess things up and to let it sit, but I pray that you would Give us energy and wisdom and skill at using these tools that you've laid out in your word. I pray for every relationship represented here, God, knowing that you are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. You have that power to do way more than, than what would occur to us or what seems possible, but you will do that according to your power that is at work within us in us. So I pray this morning, God, that you would begin to work in us in a powerful way and that this week you would work in us as we give you freedom, as we give you space, as we get out of the way and invite you to take control. Would you work in us powerfully? And I ask this in your strong and powerful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. <laughs>